back. I'm glad that you are back, and I hope that you had a good 4th of July. Everybody have a good time off a little bit. Come on, let me hear you. Come on. See, here's the problem. Preacher gets up and preaches a message on having some fun, and I'm asking you, did you have any fun on 4th of July? Did you listen to the preacher? Come on now. All right, if you did not, go back and watch the message, all right? Because right before we took the break, we had a little challenge for you, and it was all about the church and why fun is important. And then as a staff, we went ahead and lived it out, took off to be with our family and have some fun. And if you missed the video, this is just showing you a little bit of what happens when we get together as a staff and try to prepare and remind you there's no services on 4th of July. Sometimes it goes well. It'll be the finished product. And then I'll tell you the behind the scenes after this video. Check it out in case you missed it. It looks good. It looks like, all right, y'all had a little fun out there. Well, you've probably noticed that today's message is called problem solving because the truth is behind the scenes in making this video, there were a lot of problems. Number one, I have great friends in this audience who help us out tremendously. Joel Burris, give him a little round of applause. Let him know. You don't even know who he is, but I'm going to tell you, Joel. Joel let us borrow the jet skis, all right? So we were going to film this video, have a little fun to remind you there's no 4th of July. And if you're not observant, you don't really understand that in this video, there were no student pastors because their jet ski sucked the rope up into the jet ski and ruined a jet ski, all right? So I'm already going like, okay, we're off to a bad start. So Blake and Jonah are back in the back trying to figure out what's going on. And thank God Joel's so kind and nice. And then we also have my boy Putt Putman. He's out there letting us borrow his surf boat. So we're out there trying to 
Be stunt coordinators. I have learned very quickly, I am an okay pastor, not a great stunt coordinator, because it took us about six hours to film that one-minute video. And you're going, what took so long? Everything, including Ray Rainey and Brian Reed, who are our oldest staff members, because I have a 1976 ski boat. And I was like, hey, we're going to ski behind it, Chip, me, you, we're all going to get in there like, oh, we know how to ski. We got this down. We love it. Brian Reed and Ray Rainey almost died in one pool, all right? They could not get out of the water. Ray Rainey looked like he's having a stroke. By the way, he's 70 years old tomorrow. Give Ray some love. Ray, Ray! <laughs> Turning 70 tomorrow. And so I'm looking in the water. I'm going, he is not going to survive. If you didn't see the pre-show, you need to go back and watch it because we pulled some of the outtakes and stuff pulling on there because it's a miracle. They were so confident. But I realized very quickly there are a lot of problems out here in the water. So I just want to thank you for letting us have a little fun. I'm thankful everybody survived. And I'm thankful that you're here in summer school. Now, let me ask, any old people in here ever have to go to summer school? Where are you at? Come on, let me hear you. Thank you. I knew we were a medial group. That's exactly right. It is all about summer school. And we're going to talk about problems from being on the lake. And I'll explain that a little bit more when it comes back to my 1976 ski nautique. That has something to do with some of the problems. But what I learned very quickly is that when you pull together and have a summer school session, you're trying to improve your life, you're trying to learn things, and you're going to have a little fun too. So as I was looking up summer school, I went back to 1987, my senior year. Old people, where are you at? 1987, all right? This movie came out, and guess what the title was? Summer school. You want to have a little fun? Let's go back in time and learn all about summer school back in 1987. Watch been chosen to teach summer school. No, I'm not a real teacher. That's all right. These aren't real students. They're unmotivated, irresponsible, not too bright. They'll relate to you. You in this class too? Mm -mm. I'm teaching them. No. no way! Right off the bat, you show them who's in charge. Hmm? Please take your seats. Where should we take them? Who is in charge? I recommend this time I pass. You're gonna do well, Jerome. I can feel it. I've seen some new students. Very scary. There's a very valid reason for summer vacation. The human brain needs rest. I know you guys aren't exactly fired up about English. But we're stuck here. We're trapped like rats. <laughs> Tension breaker had to be done. Summer school. I love this film. It had passion. Lucky spirit. Dave, I agree with you. Thumbs up from me. Same here. To sum it up, I'm Jansa. I'm Dave. We'll see you at the movies. Come on, old school people. Where y'all at? Let me hear you. Come on. Mark Harmon, all right? NCIS. You see him on TV now. This is where it all started. Kirstie Alley. All of these old school people. But what made the movie so funny is it was a big part of growing up. If you got behind in school, they made you go to summer school. Cheesy movie, but the idea is good. You're going to learn something. Well, over this four-week series, I think it's about four weeks we're going to do this, we're going to try to teach you something too. And it really is about problem solving. That's why we call it the 101 class. And trust me, I know that when I look across this room, you are like me in that this statement is true. Is it not true that we all have problems, right? We all got problems. Anybody got problems out there this morning? I need to hear you. Trying to keep you awake. Trying to keep you awake because, yes, we all have problems. And when you walk in here, you try to get away from them. You're looking for some help. And I hope 
that this series will help you do exactly that. Sometimes they're minor problems and sometimes they're major problems. So let's go back to this video that we were shooting for 4th of July. This is my 1976 Ski Nautique boat right there. Classic, son, the old dream chaser. And I've had a lot of people help me with this. Joel from Nobody's Customs is in here. He's worked on it. I've had uh, Keith Lockhart. He had some friends. They helped me work on it. And finally, the old Ski Nautique is up and running. And when you have anything that old, there's always problems. So we're preparing to shoot this video. And in the midst of that, I am nervous, nervous, nervous because you never know what's going to happen. And what you got to do is you have to look at the dashboard. When I tell you it's got a lot of problems, this is what the dashboard looks like. It has two speedometers. You know why? Because it was used for professional skiing back in the day. Man, you had to make sure your speed was just right. That's kind of fun. But we don't really look at those that much. We're pulling a tube or a skier. No big deal. But all of these other gauges are very important on a 1976 boat. One is your RPMs right here in the middle. It's like, I mean, how many repetitions are, you know, per minute is this thing making? Do I have oil pressure? I'm always watching that because it could blow up at any minute. I've got amps over here. I've got temperature. We had a little problem with my thermostat. It started overheating a little bit. But there's one gauge that is very important, and that is this gauge right here. Can I get an amen, all right? So here is the problem. It's a 1976. All the other gauges are working. The one gauge that does not work is this one right here. So people say, well, how do you know what to do? I have a stick that I put in the tank. Can I get an amen, old people? <laughs> I literally have a long stick, and my kids are always like, Dad, how do we know if we have gas? I'm like, watch this, you know, and I stick it down in there, smell it, you know what I'm saying? Look at it, I'm like, all right, we're good. And people are like, that's really your gas gauge? Yes, because I don't know how to fix it. It's complicated. There's all kind of stuff that's going on. But... This is the truth for everyone in here. When you're going out on the lake or you're getting in your car for that matter, the one thing you do not want to happen is run out of gas. And for a woman, it's inconvenient. You're like, oh, we ran out of gas. Honey, come help me. But for a man, it is ultimate failure. Can I get an amen? You're just like, I cannot believe I've done this. And believe it or not, yes, I have failed miserably in the past. I have gotten in this boat, got out on the water, ran out of gas, and then I look at my 17-year-old son at the time, I say, put the rope in your mouth and swim me to shore, all right? <laughs> True. I've thrown him out of the boat, made him swim, and then I had a little paddle and we tried to get in. If you're in a car and it runs out of gas, what do you do? You get behind it and you push it. But what happens if you're in not a boat, which that's kind of fun, you know, not a car, you're trying to functional, but what happens if you're in something much bigger and much worse if it runs out of gas. Well, here is something I hope that never happens to anybody in here. Watch this. According to officers on scene, the plane was, plane was flying from Tracy, California to Primeville when it ran out of gas. The pilot, 30-year-old William Espinoza of Primeville, landed on the highway. He was accompanied by his sister-in-law, 24-year-old Rebecca Shantz Kemper of Primeville, and his 11-year-old stepdaughter. The highway was briefly shut down as officers and passers-by helped move the plane out of the middle of the road. The plane was sitting in the middle of the road with the wingtip sticking out there. I barely missed the wingtip myself. So that's why I stopped and thought, we'll help him push it off the road. Authorities finished their investigation before 9 this evening. Officers then picked up fuel for the airplane and mad at about 10.30 this evening, the airplane took off from Highway 20. Can you imagine? 
You imagine you're going down the highway, all of a sudden there's a plane landing right in the middle of your, you know, road. And then I'm thinking of the poor guy that just thought he filled it up before he left. You know, you're looking at each other. I thought you filled it up. I thought you filled it up. My buddy Keith Sally's here. We were talking before in the past, and he has actually been on a plane very similar. They went on a hunting trip, and the whole flap that you actually put your gas into, you know, your gas cap, loosened, and all of the fuel flew out of his plane. They didn't know that at the time. And right in the midst of when you think, man, this is going great, everything's fine, when someone lets the gas run out of a vehicle, you begin to blame each other, fear for your life, especially when you're in a plane. And I start thinking through all of us in this room, you go, well, this is a pretty simple problem to solve, Justin. All you got to do is what? You go back to the gas tank or you go fill up your car. You fill up the boat, you fill up the plane. And what you realize, and Keith was a great example of this, is you begin to look at each other when you've run out of gas or if it's your spouse and when they make the phone call or your kids or for me when I'm in the boat, they're like, Dad, you didn't fill it up. What I know for sure does not work when you run out of gas is complaining about it, <laughs> blaming others, or when it really gets into it, denial, like this can't be happening. No, it's happened. You are dead in the middle of the road. You are out of gas. And then there is this little part that hits you of called regret. You begin to think, man, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe that I'm in this situation. So here is why I'm thankful that you're in the room and I'm thankful that you're watching. The question for all of us in this room today is this. Are you personally empty? If you were to evaluate your life right now, even with time off last week, in other words, you get a Sunday off or you get vacation. Some of you, I saw you out there looking good. You're tan. You're coming back in. You're like... Ah, but something deep inside, even with the time off, you feel like, man, I just feel like I'm still just, uh, I don't know if I can do it. Well, here is the question. How do we solve this problem? If we're still empty after time off, if you're still empty with things going on, some of you go, well, just, you got to go back to the tank. You just got to go back and fill it up. Well, part of it is coming in church, and that's why I'm grateful that you're here. But there's also some insights that I think if we can learn today, when we walk back out of here, it will apply to more than just filling your gas tank. It's going to apply to filling your life. So let's learn from another empty situation that happened a couple thousand years ago that you're going to be familiar with. In Scripture, it's found in a couple of the Gospels. It was the feeding of the 5,000 when there was a bunch of empty stomachs. And they were out in the middle of nowhere. And they come into a situation where they're going, man, what are we going to do? I am empty. And all of these things that I've mentioned before, griping, complaining, blaming, denial, all of these things were happening. But if I were to take you back into the scripture, we're going to first start with Mark in chapter 6, when this is what happens with Jesus' very own friends. It's kind of like your closest compadres, man. You're on this journey together. They came up to Jesus. They said, no one lives in this place, Jesus, and it's already very late. Now, why would I point out this scripture? Well, because it's much like us. They're already complaining that, hey, who put us out here in the middle of nowhere? Jesus, why did you have to speak here? They start coming back. Jesus, why did you have to preach so long? I'm hungry. They're all hungry. What are we doing here? You also have John who records it when he comes in with their friends and they say this. Someone would have to work almost a year to buy enough bread for each person to have only just a little piece because they begin to look around and go, we're in the middle of nowhere. Jesus has preached too long and there's no Wendy's, no McDonald's. There is nothing close. And we would have to work forever to try to solve this problem. We don't have enough money. There's not enough resources. We can't afford to fix this problem. Now, here is the thing that 
I struggle with, and maybe I'm the only one, but I don't think so. When you're faced with an overwhelming problem, it could be a boat that you can't fix. It could be a relational problem. It could be a work problem, and you can't fix it. I know this for sure because this is what I can find myself doing. Complaining does not solve the problem. Can someone say amen? amen. Now, why would I want you to say amen? Why would I want you to agree with that? It's because we're all guilty of it. I'm going to tell them myself. I have a 17-year-old daughter, okay? She is moving into her senior year. I have a 21-year-old daughter. I have a 20-year-old son. So I got a bunch of kids. They're all driving cars now. My brother, his life group, like I told you, Joel from Nobody's Custom of Help. I could go through so many different people have been so kind to us and try to help us. And, hey, man, let me see if I can do this and let me see if I can do that. Well, that's good because it seems like I got more car problems than I want. Emma calls me just a couple of weeks ago. Hey, Dad, I'm at so-and-so's friend's house. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, my car won't go into gear. And I'm like, do what? She's like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I thought she was going to say she'd run out of gas, which we'd all understand. No problem. I get my gas tank. Pretty easy to solve that problem. But when she says it don't go into gear, I'm like, well, what's going on? So I tell Ian, Ian, come get in the car. We got to go over there. We drive over there. We get in the driveway. And she's in a friend's driveway blocking all of their cars. They can't get in and out. So the first thing we had to do is push this thing. Not fun in the heat that you all know we've experiencing. We get on a hill. Didn't tell everybody this in the first service. You're getting an extra bonus. When I finally get out of the driveway, I don't realize that the whole you know, street that they're living on has a little bit of an incline. Me and Ian cannot move the car. Literally, we're sitting there just pushing and pushing. So finally, neighbors start coming out. And you're talking about embarrassing. And you start trying to figure out what's going on. You're like, what's happening? Long story short, transmission's gone. We don't know what we're going to do. And I'm sitting here going, I find myself complaining. I'm griping about it. I can't believe it. We hadn't had this car but a year. You know, what's going on? Is the transmission, is it fluid? Did I not change it? All of these complaints come in my mind. Well, the reason I'm a little amped up is because just a week or two before that, my 20-year-old son, he is driving my 01 Toyota Tacoma with 300,000 miles. Can I get an amen for Toyota? Amen. He's out there just driving it. He's been loving it. It was my truck my whole life, and now it's his, and he's driving it. He calls me. He says, Dad, we call it Goldie. He said, Goldie's got a problem. I'm like, here we go. You know, what's good with the problem? She, he said, not just one deer, but two deer on a suicide mission crashed into Goldie. I'm like, do what? He's like, Dad, I'm just driving home. We live out in Benton, a little bit of a country road, right? He said, and I don't just see one deer. There's two of them. They're going, I'm taking him out, you know? Goldie survived all these years, and here they come, man. Boom, boom. So my brother, who is the car guy, again, I take it over to him. I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. So he's cutting stuff out, and there's a Shane's cup involved somehow. I don't know. It's shoved down in there holding the light in place, but we're zip-tying and, you know, doing everything we can because you got to function. You got to go to work. You got to get all these things done. And I found myself probably just like you have. The problems are mounting up. The tension's getting up. And I'm not looking for you know, solutions. I'm looking for excuses. I'm complaining. I'm denying it. I'm blaming. I'm going through the whole thing. Anybody else been there? When you start looking at finances, you start looking, how did I get in this situation? Why am I going through this? Well, this is what the disciples were doing as well. Who picked this place? I can't believe Jesus preached this long. Oh, my God. They should have brought their own food. That's what they should have done. Every one of his followers were in the same situation that you and I get in when the problems begin to mount up. 
And there's two words associated with that I think we can all relate to, and that is a bad attitude. It starts in their mind of, I don't know how this is going for everybody else, but I don't like this, and I am going to complain about it. I'm going to gripe about it. I'm going to blame other people, and I am beginning to get frustrated. And these guys, and every woman in here, you know what I'm about to say, they were hangry. Y'all know what I mean? These guys were angry and they were hungry and the problems were mounting as they're out in the middle of nowhere going, well, how did we get ourselves in this situation? All these people are grumbling. Everybody's hangry. And if you don't believe hangry is a problem, I'm going to prove it to you that it is and that it starts very young. All right. I found this video on social media and I think everybody in here will be able to relate to what hangry means and why it is a problem. Watch. Connor. Connor, why'd you hit Aiden? Because you want pancakes? You can't hit people because you want pancakes. You can't hit people because you don't get pancakes. You can't do that. He's being good. He's being good. You just punched him in the head because you didn't get pancakes. No. I don't know if you saw the little brother that took it in the eyeball. He never looked up. That little dude was like, I need pancakes. Boop, get my brother. I need pancakes. Hangry, angry, frustrated. So here's a little bonus lesson. We're in summer school. Here's a little bonus lesson. If you know a male and they are around you and they have not eaten, beware. If you are a male, for some reason, man, you're the worst at it. Here is your little lesson. You need to remember halt. If you were hungry, if you were angry, if you were lonely, or if you're tired, press the pause, but don't hit anybody and don't say anything. Don't start complaining. Just kind of hold on. Now, again, it can affect women as well, but I'm telling you, it's just like that little dude he learned early. He's punching his brother over on pancakes. So here's the other thing that I'm telling you. All of us, in the midst of all the problems that we have, we begin to express that frustration in a lot of different ways. And the disciples were no different. They were frustrated. They were mad. They were beginning to even tell Jesus what he should do. Just for the record, if you're hangry and you're not really learning how to halt, don't tell Jesus what to do. Like we all get there and like, well, here's what you need to do, Jesus. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, here's Mark. Another example of where the scripture is saying, send the people away, Jesus, so they can go to the countryside and towns and they can know where to buy themselves something to eat. They're trying to tell Jesus, here's how you're going to solve this, Jesus. I'm hungry. I'm mad. And I'm going to tell you, man, just send these people out. You've preached too long. You put us in the middle of nowhere. There's too many people. We don't have enough money to solve this. Just get out of here. Tell them to all go on. Well, just like them, I look back at my life. And these guys should have known better. It's easy to complain. It's easy to blame. But you cannot forget that Jesus' problem skills, problem-solving skills are amazing. He can do what you and I can't do. And so many times, instead of going to Jesus first, we complain, we gripe, we begin, I can't believe this, we throw fits, we get frustrated. And the reason I say that these guys should have known this, look at Matthew 4. This is only just a few chapters before, but it's giving you an idea of when you're looking at Matthew and Mark and John and all these different stories. But here's Jesus walking through Galilee, healing every disease and sickness among the people. People brought to him that were ill. There were all kinds of diseases. 
Those suffering with pain, demon-possessed, having seizures, paralyzed, he healed them all. And they almost, like us, seem to forget that Jesus can help us, but they're not going to go to him. They're going back to what we're all used to doing when we get overwhelmed with problems, griping, complaining, blaming. Here's another example, Luke, another writer, right? He comes back and says, hey, people all tried to touch Jesus. Why? Because power came from him. And when they just touched him, it would heal him. Now, this is the guy that they've seen do all these miracles. They're in the middle of this situation that is overwhelming. But you think they would come up and go, hey, Jesus, hey, man, do your magic. <laughs> come on, man, let's solve this problem. You just do what you do. Snap your fingers and everything can be solved right now. But they made the mistake that you and I make. Sometimes we try to solve our own problems without Jesus at all. Instead of pausing, instead of thinking through it, we're like, well, this is what we need to do. And in our frustration and our anger, we make it more complicated. Or we think, this problem is just too big. I can't solve this problem. It can't be solved. My problem, Justin, I hear you up there saying all this, but my problem is way too big for that. Well, I'm going to give you some scripture as we walk through this for every excuse that I have and that you have. Number one, Ephesians 3.20. God is, what's this word? He's able to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So when you think your complication, your work problem, your relationship problem is just too big for God, he's like, man, I'm able to accomplish more than you could ever even think. Yeah, but my need's too much, Justin. You don't understand when it comes to my finances or when it comes to this relationship, there's no way. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is once again able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need. And so much more so that you'll be able to not just meet your needs, but joyfully give to others. I think about the simple church. You're going for it. You're building buildings. You're trying to, you know, do something we've never done before. And you're like, I don't know how I can do this. I don't know if I'll ever be able to do this. I feel the same way. I get my fear can control me. You know, my anxiety or this can come in. I'm like, how are we going to get through this situation or that situation? But then you go back and go, what does Jesus say? What does the scripture say? But the problem is you and I go back to what we know, what we learn from our parents or what we learn from our experiences. Throw the wrench when it don't work. Throw a fit when it don't work. Punch your your neighbor, your friend, whatever it is. This is stupid. I can't believe this is happening. Instead of doing what we should do. We start making excuses. My temptation is too big, Justin. Somebody's trying to overcome addiction in here. You've been struggling for a long time, trying to get through whatever is going on. You're like, I can't do it. Well, God is able to help us when we're being tested. You just don't understand, Justin. No, I do, and so does he. And over and over and over, you keep seeing in Scripture, he's able to help us with whatever problem it is. I made too many mistakes, Justin, but there's the problem. You don't understand. I've sinned. I've failed. I mean, man, I can't. I don't think I can ever be forgiven. Hebrews 7.25. God is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He can do what you and I can't do. But it's almost like the disciples in that moment, they were overwhelmed with the problem and they could not see that Jesus was the solution. Yeah, Justin, I hear you, but let me explain something. You don't know my boss at work. You don't know my enemy. You don't know what I'm going against. You don't know my ex, Justin. If you knew my ex, devil himself. Philippians 3.21, God is able even to subdue all things to himself. But you don't know our government. You don't know our taxes. You don't know. You can go through all of the things that we face, all of these problems. But Justin, you don't, I, I hear you, but 
I just don't think you get it. I'm not sure he can handle my issues and even worse, my mistakes. Well, here's one more, Jude 124. God is able to keep you from falling away and he will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fall. And here's what I am learning and what I am trying to apply to my life and I'm not great at it. Man, I'm telling you when the transmission went out or Ian calls me, I'm finding myself complaining or you feel sorry or frustrated and how am I going to get through this? When what I need to do and what I am learning to do and what I'm challenging you to do in Problem Solving 101 in summer school, whatever your problem is, remember this. Jesus is able. You saw scripture after scripture after scripture, circumstance after circumstance, situation after situation. This is where we make our mistakes. Remember, you know, you run out of gas, it's kind of easy. Excuse me, you go, hey, what do I need to do? Go to the gas pump. Go fill my car back up. You've learned that. Common sense tells you, hey, I'm, I'm in a problem. This is the solution. But what about when you have a life problem? Could it be so easy to remember to do what? Well, here's what I'm going to challenge you with. How can I get to Jesus? How quickly am I going to Jesus? So instead of trying to solve it yourself, instead of trying to figure out what's going on, should have blamed and getting angry, like, all right, Lord, I don't know what the solution is but I know that you are able to help me. And I know that you are great at problem solving. And so I'm not gonna say that I know. I'm gonna be willing to do whatever you ask me to do, but I'm gonna go to you first. Just like when you're empty in the gas tank or you're empty in life, go to Jesus first. Don't go to anything else. Don't go to try everything else. Just go to him first and then let him help you because he is a great problem solver and you know what Jesus is super creative when you think you can't figure out the solution and you don't know how to do it Jesus is super creative and super amazing at solving problems that you and I cannot solve let me prove it going back to John chapter 6 Andrew they're feeding another 5,000 all this stuff is on the pressure's on and Andrew kind of sarcastically comes up and goes hey Jesus I just found somebody that might can solve it. He's got some loaves and he's got some fish, but that's just a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this, Jesus. There's that sarcasm. Have you ever been there before? Well, maybe this can solve it, Jesus. And Jesus, very calmly, very coolly, and very creatively, Jesus takes the bread and he gives thanks for it. In the middle of all of the problems, everything's overwhelming, everything's amazing. And what does he do? He just, Jesus is like, let me teach you boys something. And let me teach 2,000 plus years later, a crowd here, a crowd watching online. Learn this. When the problems are stacking up, press pause. Bring what you have to Jesus and thank him for what he's already done. So for me, in the midst of my frustration, I'm frustrated that the transmission is broke but here's the truth how blessed am i am that all of my kids do have old cars to drive there's many people don't have a car they don't have anything to get around they're trying to figure out what to do and here you are complaining and griping justin when you're super blessed you know about my dad battling cancer and brain cancer in the midst of all that's going on some people are like man that's so bad i can't believe he's having to go through all this but what i am learning to do is press pause and go man thank god for Cresslin. Because he has a wife that can take care of him. And me and my brother are so far away. What do we do? How would we get through this? 
I can complain, I can gripe, I can get frustrated, or I can go, man, am I thankful for the doctors, the VA, all of the hospice helpers, the chaplain that's able to go check on him and pray with him, and his wife who's able to meet these needs. And I'm going, what would we do without this? So just like Jesus said, hey, bring this to me. And what you have, pause and be grateful for it. Just like he did with the bread and just like he did with the fish and maybe just like he's going to do with you. What do you have to be thankful for? Because what happens next is the miracle. After he gives thanks for it and after he pauses, the first buffet in the history of Scripture is revealed. All of them ate at the Golden Corral as much as they wanted. (laughs) Think about that. A couple of fish, a couple of loaves. And in the midst of all that, when the people had eaten to their fill, including the disciples, because, you know, now they're like, hey, man, is this ever going to run out? This is super weird. I can't believe this is happening. You were the one griping about it. You said that the boy didn't have enough. You told everybody just to leave. You were mad because Jesus spoke too long. Don't say that again. Then Jesus says, hey, boys, go gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. And they went around and they filled 12 baskets full of leftovers. And this is the most important part for all of us in here. And the people realized that God was at work among them. See, here is what I am learning, what I hopefully am able to teach you today, is that God really does reveal himself through problem solving. And he does it in creative ways. And you getting angry and frustrated and complaining and blaming And oh, it's just living in regret. No, why don't you just learn like I'm trying to learn? Hey, Jesus, I'm going to bring this problem to you. I don't know how this is going to get solved. But I'm super grateful for the Joels in my life, for the Keith Lockhart's who were willing to help, whether it was fixing a car, or for the doctors in my life, for the nurses, for the hospice, for the Cresslins in our lives, for all of these answers to our prayers. God, we're just pausing and saying, hey, we're going to bring this to you and we're super grateful. And you do what you got to do and help me to be faithful in that. And when it all gets said and done, when we pull back and go, not only does Jesus meet the need, he gives you more than you ever thought you'd have. So when it comes to your business, when it comes to your relationships, Instead of complaining, instead of regretting, instead of, oh my gosh, and pointing the finger and blaming, just go, Jesus, I'm bringing this relationship issue to you. I'm bringing this financial situation to you. And you're going to be tempted to try to take it back over, do your own thing, but leave the problem in Jesus' hands. Don't try to grab it back. Don't try to just, like now, oh, it ain't happening fast enough. This ain't working because that's what's going on. They're going, What's going to happen with all these people? How are we going to do it? I'm hungry. We got to go. We're out in the middle of nowhere. It's fixing to be dark. How are we going to handle all this? He's like, just bring it to Jesus and let him work. If you need more proof, how about 1 Peter 5, 7? You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him. What are you worried about today? What's frustrating? What's scary to you? What are you fearful of? For you are his personal concern you he loves you he cares about your job situation he cares about your finances he cares about your relationships he cares about you being hungry so he's like Justin hurry up all of those things are happening he cares about you so bring your problems your concerns your issues your kids whatever it is Lord not second but first and pause and be grateful for what he's done and what he has shown you 
and say, Lord, show me what you want to do to solve this problem because you're going to do it way more creative than I could have ever thought about. And for those that are empty and that's still your problem, you've been off and you're still just like, oh my God. Remember Matthew 11? Probably remember the scripture. Come to me, all of you who are tired and have heavy loads and I will give you rest. I'm going to solve your problem. So my prayer today in the middle of summer when everybody's kind of trying to figure it out, school is right around the corner, and you're like, oh my gosh, I felt like we just got off, and how are we going to get this, and we got to buy school supplies, and I don't, my cars are broke, and I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation or that. You've got all of these problems, because we all got them. My prayer is, is that you won't let your fear or your insecurity or your doubt keep you from handing your stuff over to Jesus. We all got stuff, relationship stuff, financial stuff, car stuff. You can go through health stuff, hand it to Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm thankful. Jesus paused. Man, I'm thankful for these little fish and these couple of loaves. And let God do what he's going to do. Now, there's always bonus in summer school. Here's one more bonus. We had halt as a reminder, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Be careful when you get in that situation. Well, here's another bonus. Jesus allows us to be a part of solving the problem. You ever think about this? He could have just snapped his fingers. He could have just spoken the word and those people would have had food in their lap instantly. Remember manna from heaven in the Old Testament? Remember how he could just strike a rock and water would come out? He could have fed everyone instantaneously, but he chose to use the little boy's lunch. And you go, why would he do that? It's because there's a blessing when you can solve someone's problem, when you can be a part of that and you get to experience that happening, it fills you like nothing else. I can tell you in Simple Church, I've seen it, man, when we're trying to solve problems locally or we're trying to solve problems globally, or even when my job with the chaplain working on the fire department now, like when it's overwhelming, you're like, how are we gonna solve all this? And you think, well, how do you have energy and how can you do all this? Because believe it or not, when you say, Jesus, I'm coming to you, help me with this circumstance or that situation, it is energizing. There is something powerful to it. There is something that you're like, holy cow, man, that's pretty cool that we were able to do that. We were able to be a part of that. And that's what you've learned here at the Simple Church. But maybe you're a guest or maybe you're as a regular attender, you need another reminder. And I'm going to show it to you today. I'm going to show you the power of creative problem solving and the joy that comes from going, all right, God, use me. And it's going to be in the lesson of children because this is a lesson for all of us. Problems are everywhere. Don't complain about it. Don't gripe about it. Go in there and say, Jesus, I'm bringing it to you. How can you use me to help be a part of the solution? And when that happens, some pretty powerful things happen. Need proof? Watch this. At Glen Lake Elementary in Hopkins, Minnesota, recess is a mixed blessing. On the one hand, there's so much to do. But on the other hand, not everyone can do it. It just didn't seem fair that some kids were just left out. And it's really sad to see other kids go through that. They didn't look happy, and recess is about having fun. Glen Lake has a lot of students with physical disabilities, but no wheelchair merry-go-round, swings, or any adaptive playground equipment whatsoever. Come on in. Which really bothered the kids in Betsy Julian's fifth grade class, to the point where one day they asked her, why can't we just buy the equipment ourselves? I said, do you know how much that costs? <laughs> yeah. It costs a lot of money, 300000 $300,000 by her estimation. 
but the kids were undeterred. They started collecting spare change, then held a bake sale, printed flyers, and went door to door. Then they began cold calling businesses and even got restaurants to donate a portion of their profits. This went on for months until last week when they hit their goal. We were all very happy on the inside and on the outside. The smile on my face, I could say, was an ear-to-ear -ear smile. I was just really happy that we made it. Reese Riley says they worked so hard. It was overwhelming to finally know a more inclusive playground would be coming. You're a good kid. Thanks. And as for the kids who will benefit, they seem to appreciate the effort almost more than the result. First time I set foot on this playground, I'm probably going to start crying. From seeing the effort that all the school has made. Mrs. Julian couldn't agree more. My future as an adult is bright knowing that this generation of students, of change makers, see something that needs fixing and they go for it head first. The whole thing. Head first and dive deep. What's our next step? After raising the 300000 Mrs. Julian's class set a new goal, to the ceiling and beyond. They now hope to buy adaptive playground equipment for other schools in the district, turning loneliness and isolation into child's play. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Hopkins, Minnesota. Come on, y'all, how cool is that? You see the tears, you see the smiles, and this is why Jesus wants to use you. He could instantly fix a lot of these things. I mean, this is not too big for him. But this is what we're learning in the Simple Church. You want to be a part of problem solving. It's going to fill you up. It's going to meet the needs. Why do we give away cars to single moms? Why do we try to figure that out? Why does like nobody's customs and life groups and all these people, why do they put their energy and money and time into doing this? Why do you donate cars? Why do you help kids that don't have shoes in our local schools? Why do we do backpacks for food? That'll be coming up here in just a few weeks. It's because when we solve these problems in the name of Jesus, and we take that little that we have, that $5 or that talent, and you go, all right, God, you get filled up, and he gets the glory. And I love what the teacher said. She said, you know, it's like, I know that our future is bright. And this is why at the Simple Church, what I hope we are known for is exactly what the statement says on the shirt and on the website. We want to love God. And we want to say, we know you are our solution. And out of loving you, we want to love the people around us. We don't want to be known as gripers or complainers or picketers or, oh, we're against this. And again, we want to know what we're for. And when we see problems in our country, in our community, or around in our world, we want to be a part of solving those. And we're going to bring all of our little stuff together and go, here it is. And then the next thing you know, instead of griping and complaining and blaming them, we can look back and go, man, look at what God did. And I don't know if you know it or not, there's a lot of problems out there. And my prayer is, is as we learn it as individuals, and I struggle like you, sometimes I want to complain, sometimes I want to blame. I'm like, Lord, help me to bring my stuff to you. My relationship problems, my financial problems, my church problems, my whatever it may be. Lord, here they are. 
first. I don't have much, but just can you use it? Can you help me? And then help us to be creative about it. And trust me, you want to be a part of solving problems in this community? Simple church, that's what we are known for. Just ask around. When the police needed some help, what did we do? I asked you, hey man, come in. I need your help. And we were able to help train some of the officers in this community. We have more opportunities coming up to do more of that. I heard there's another need coming up in our community. I'm going to ask you to help by buying t-shirts and simple stuff. But when we do that, people begin to see their problems solved and their needs met, not by some stranger, but by a church that loves them and that loves God. I am super grateful that you're here today. I'm super grateful that you're watching online, but here's my challenge. Let's go back to your problem. This is how I work through it. Maybe it'll help you today. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm coming to you. Man, I'm overwhelmed by this situation or this circumstance. I need help with this car. I need help with my relationship with this friend, or I need advice on this, Lord. I can't solve these problems on my own. And I don't want to gripe, and I don't want to complain. I just need your help. So let me know my part. If it's just the little that I have, and it's these little fish and a couple of bread pieces, that's all I got left, Lord. Then I'm bringing it to you, and I'm asking you to bless it. Lord, I'm thankful for what you've done. I'm thankful for all the things you've come through for me and for my family and for our church. And I ask, Father, that you would just help us as we go forward. Help us, Lord, whether it's moving to the boardwalk or whether it's helping the community, these schools, these teachers that are about to go back in the classroom or these people who have no resources, man, to fix problems in this community. Help us to know our part. And we're grateful that you've met our needs. We're humbled by it. We don't feel like we deserve it all, but we're super grateful. So, Lord, as we go out of these doors, help us to follow the example that you've set. You are the greatest problem solver that ever walked this planet. And the most important problem that you saw for us was our sin. I mess up. You went to the cross. You shed your blood so that I could have a fresh start, a new beginning. You even overcame the grave so that when we have the problem of death or health problems that seem like there's no solutions, you tell us that you are the healer and you are the one that promises us eternal life. So, Lord, we put our hope and our faith and our trust in you. Not some church, not some religion, but, Lord, in the person of Jesus. And we thank you that you love us and that you give us another chance. And today is all about that. So if someone needs you, I pray they would say, Jesus, come into my life and change me. Help me. I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. And you promise to meet them right there. And then help us, Jesus, to follow you. When we walk out of this room, we walk out of this building, Lord, that you would help us to follow you to be the problem solver that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name.